0: So who's already taken down their Christmas decorations? Very few here. So the rest of you are slackers, is that the deal? It's been a week. It's like it's that's always the big dilemma, right? When to take the things down? We actually took ours down the day after Christmas this year. That was like the earliest ever. And uh, I had a good friend uh, that his approach was Christmas night. They were all gone. They were packed away by Christmas night, right? I mean, it's crazy. And then you have other friends that basically the day after Christmas post on Facebook the little, um, you know, Will Farrell the elf, Buddy the Elf, saying it's only 364 more days till Christmas, right? Because you have that group that, like, can't wait till the next one, and then that's you right there, okay. And then there's the group that's like, hey, it's over, and, and somewhere in the middle of that is reality. You know, and, and we've spent the last month in Advent season, Christmas season, uh, looking at all the, the stories of Christmas, the stories that we know really, really well, of uh, the angel visiting uh, Mary, of the angel visiting uh, her aunt Elizabeth and and Zechariah, right? And then they gave birth to John the Baptist. And we have the how the uh, how the shepherds responded to the angels coming to them. And uh, we even in the very first week of our our Advent season talked about that really unknown character in uh, missing from most of our nativity scenes, uh, the red dragon from Revelation, which is this other nativity scene going on in the cosmos. And and we've seen the stories, and the stories focus on the amazing stuff. Right? They, they focus on the miraculous and, and the joyful and the things that we look forward to and go, wow, I can't believe this happened, the miracle of Christmas. And, and we get into those places, but I think it's fascinating that today we had a baby dedication service uh, because that's actually part of what the story about today's sermon is about. It has to do with, with a baby, Jesus, and, and what kind of happened next. And, and we look at these stories and the characters we've seen throughout this, this time of, of Advent, and, and our approach has been to say, what's the story? And look and acknowledge the miraculous nature of of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. But then we said, what do we learn from these characters that are involved in the story? What do we learn from Mary, from Zechariah, from uh, Elizabeth, from the shepherds? We, We said, what do we learn from that that has implications in our own lives? And the reality is, is that we don't have much information about what happened next for people, right? So we have the shepherds who experienced this amazing thing, right? They had the angels come to them, and they went and found Jesus in the manger, just like they had been told. And they went from there telling everybody they saw what they had seen, right? And then they, they praised God and glorified him. But the next day, like if they had a sleepful night, I, I don't know, I'm sure they were interacting with some of the shepherds that had to stay behind because somebody had to watch the sheep, right? So you come back and tell them what's going on. And at some point, one of them probably looked at the other. They're still in this place of kind of being giddy about what had happened. And well, what next? Now what? Or Mary and Joseph, right? They they had this very difficult travel. They had to end up going through all the chaos that surrounded that moment with the taxation and people going there and being registered and having to give birth in this in this stable in this manger wasn't what they had pictured, and at some point in the basking in the glow of this amazing thing that's just happened, even though it was this horrible place, and those are the questions we all have to ask ourselves, so what's next? Now what? What do we do with this story? What do we do with what takes place? And I think one of their characters today, uh, they will have their response to what goes on will we'll have some implications for us as well, and those characters are Simeon and Anna. We'll go back and see what we do with it. So when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. So let's just look a little more closely at the the story going on at the context here. So it says that uh, when the time of their purification happened, they went to the temple. And, and we know from the from the previous verse, before we started reading, that Jesus had already been circumcised. That took place eight days after he was born. But now it talks about this time of purification, and so they're going to go to the temple to really accomplish three things. One was purification, because if, if you recall from other times we've taught, uh, in, in that culture, a woman was considered unclean after childbirth. Why? Because blood was considered something that made you impure. And so there was a waiting period of 40 days uh, before you could go to the temple and and make a sacrifice to be declared pure again, right, and and unclean, you're you're clean again. What's interesting in this passage, it says from the time of their purification, because if you gave birth in a barn, husband-to-be Joseph was there, and he probably became unclean as well, right? So it's an interesting situation. So they went to the temple uh, to, uh, according to the law, accomplish what they had to do. And so they did that procedure And then it says also that they, as was the custom and was required by the law, they were bringing their firstborn male to be consecrated to the Lord. Uh, And then also connected to that, it's not mentioned here, but that process also included a dedication to the service of the Lord for the firstborn male. So they they were accomplishing three things in this passage which we can look at this and go, well, that really doesn't apply to my life. We don't don't do that kind of stuff. I mean, we had a baby dedication today, but that's a very voluntary thing. It isn't required by law. It isn't to keep you holy and pure, but it's a a great step to make, to say as parents, we're going to strive to raise our children in this way. What a a great thing to do. But but this was what was required of them to be considered faithful and righteous Jewish people. And, And so they accomplished that. And so we look at this and say, well, what do we learn from that? We don't have to follow those rules. Well, we can look and say Jesus came from a family that from day one was doing things the right way according to their traditions and their culture and their religious guides. Uh, And so that later in his life when we see these encounters with the Pharisees who accuse him of breaking the law, breaking the Sabbath, they can't just say, well, look where he came from. Look what his family was like. No, no, his family was devout and they were righteous and they did the right things that they were supposed to do. So we, we can gather some little things from that. But then it also says that they, they gave a sacrifice to keeping with what the law says, and it gave a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And what we know from that is this, is this is the sacrifice that poor families would give. And so once again, we understand that the life that Jesus was born into was a difficult one. And we've talked about that a lot. And he, he grew up in, in a know-nothing town, right? And, and he was uh, of, of, of poverty. Well, then we meet this character named Simeon, who it tells us was righteous and devout. And if we were to dig further into this concept of being devout, we would understand that in in that Greek culture, somebody with that word, they were they were devout, was identifying somebody as a statesman. This was a person uh, that was learned. This was a person that had wisdom. And, and we know from hints and this, he was probably up there in years. No much else about him. We don't know about a job. We don't really know if he had a family. We don't know anything about that. It just says he was he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation or the the comfort of Israel. We also learn that he was somebody who was, he was a spiritual person. He, he, was, he was deep, he was wise, he was mature, and he was in tune with the work of the Holy Spirit, who at some point in this man's life had said in a promise, in, in a vision somehow, that you will not die before you see the Messiah. And that's, a, that's a wild promise. And I would assume this was decades because he's an old man. He's been waiting for this. This is what he's longed for. This is what he's dreamed about. This has been his hope for his life. Because he's been promised it by God that he would see the one. He would see the Messiah. Right? It's an amazing statement. It had been revealed to him. And it says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And there were Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus. And he instantly started praising God. You know, he makes this statement, Sovereign, Lord, as you was promised. Basically, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen what you promised. You can take me now. That's a paraphrase. Because he had seen it. He would experienced it. What had been promised him forever, he actually experienced in that moment. And he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And it says the, the father and the mother, Mary Joseph, Marveled at what he said about their son. It's a, it's a fascinating interaction. This person who had been there, this person who was devout, who was wise. And, and so we just learned basically, read right off in this story, that the Christmas story involved the shepherds who were everyday guys going about their business, and they were brought into the story. We have, we have Mary, who we saw was, was chosen because she was most ordinary. And she was brought into the story, as were were all these other characters brought into this. And here we have this man, Simeon, and later we'll meet Anna, two elderly people who were brought into this time, in this place, for something very specific. And it was to the amazement of everyone. What had been promised to him came true. What I want to propose in this passage today is that what Simeon and, and Anna, that we'll learn about in a bit, what they demonstrate in this passage, we need to learn. And I think what they've demonstrated is that to see Jesus is to see God's salvation and way revealed. The sight of Jesus was the answer to everything they had longed for and prayed for. Not, I've learned a new thing, I've learned a new concept, there's a new law I need to follow, there's a new ritual. No, they saw this person, Jesus, this little baby, Jesus, and they saw Jesus and therefore they saw salvation and they saw God's way, and it was opened up for them right before their eyes. What's interesting is that Simeon says, right, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, and your salvation is Jesus, a person that we know is fully God and fully man. I've seen this person, therefore I've seen your salvation you prepared in the sight of all people. It wasn't just a quiet, personal thing. Simeon makes a statement that he couldn't really fully understand, and we can marvel at it. How did, how did all people know? How did all people see? It took place in this little place in the middle of nowhere. But we know through the miracle of how the word of Jesus spread, and we're all here this morning because that word spread miraculously through people, the body of Christ, that it did happen. Jesus has been seen by all people. It says that's what's happened, but the reality is is it's everyone saw it, but what do you do with what you've seen? And Simeon demonstrates that to see Jesus is to see God's way and salvation. Basically, everything he's longed for, everything he's hoped for, everything he's wished for, everything the Holy Spirit said would come true, has come true. There are no more mysteries in life because I've seen Jesus. Now that's a that's a powerful statement, and if we actually learn that concept that they lived out in this passage that that to see Jesus is to see God's salvation and way revealed period, we have seen everything. I believe that if we learn that as Anna and Simeon did, then I believe that's going to have some implications in our lives that's going to have something some things need to result from that that I think we see play out in simeon and Anna and I think one of those results is that if we see Jesus, meaning we see God's salvation in a way revealed, that means we often that phrase I think in Christianity gets thrown out and it's really kind of a cliche. Well, it's all in good timing. Which means, eh, I'll just kind of throw away that idea and it becomes, like I say, a cliche. It becomes something that just we, we toss around in Christian circles, guess what we're supposed to be. If we know Jesus, everything. And I think this was a decade long waiting time. He had been promised that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ until he had seen the Messiah, until he had seen God's way revealed. He would not die till then. How do you go about living if that's what you know? I mean, just think about if somebody came to me and said, Dale, something amazing is going to happen to you by next Friday. How would I live? Would I just close my door and go in my room and sit there? I wonder when this amazing thing will happen. No, I I would go through life on edge with, with all my senses up, wondering, is this the thing? Is this the cool thing? what am I looking This amazing thing, I wonder what it's going to be and all of my life is going to be built up looking for that thing. It's not going to be just passively sitting back and enduring this time. It's going to be actively committed to looking for it and observing what's happening and wondering if this is it. Can you imagine these decades of Simeon saying he's been promised by the Holy Spirit absolutely latching on to that thing and every time maybe a new baby, he didn't know it was going to be a baby or a new person comes into town or next time he's in the temple he, he experiences something it's like, Is this it? Is this the one? You you would always be eager. You would always be anticipating. You would live your life with such an expectation. You would live with perseverance. He he persevered. And perseverance is not just sitting back and waiting. It's not endurance. No, perseverance is active to to see through what you've started. You're you're pursuing something. So it's not just a commitment to God's timing. It's an, an active commitment. And persevering, once again, it's not just endurance, but I think it involves creativity, involves involves looking, it involves anticipation, it it involves a great deal of, of action in life. Because you never know if this is the thing, if this is the one, and I do not want to miss it, so I'm going to latch on to life. And that's how I'm going to live my life. It's a commitment to God's timing. In other words, it's a commitment to living life, because oftentimes in the waiting in the active waiting in the active commitment to God's timing that's when living happens that's when change happens it's in those spaces i mean just think about some of the the bible stories we know think about the story of joseph in the old testament right he'd given a vision that he was going to be a leader and a ruler but he was Basically, he was envied by his brothers who, who sold him into slavery. He was cast in a pit, and then he lived in prison for years and years. But in prison is where he learned to be a leader. And everything was changed to prepare him for what would happen next. But, but it happened in prison. It happened in waiting. It happened in persevering. And it took great Creativity and life and activity in that place to have something amazing happen. It's like, same thing happened with David, right? Young David, young kid, he, he was chosen to be the next king of Israel. But as soon as he got that announcement, you're going to be the next king, what happens? Well, he was right back in the fields tending sheep. And by tending sheep, he learned how to lead people. Or, or stories of, of the Apostle Paul. Most of the, most of the most amazing things that the Apostle Paul penned happened in prison, chained to a wall, an active commitment to the timing of God. I think we learn that in this passage. There's this man who spent his whole life dreaming of and hoping for and listening to the Holy Spirit and and probably being incredibly engaged with life around him. That's how the Holy Spirit worked through him. And so when that, that young couple came in, he went to them and he knew. He had spent his life in that anticipation. He didn't spend his life perfectly, but he was devout and he was righteous and he was. The one result to seeing Jesus is that it should have a. bringing us a commitment to God's timing. A second thing is it brings an understanding that one's walk with God and faithful service to Him are what define everything else in life. Let me repeat that one for you. An understanding that one's walk with God and faithful service to Him, I mean, our walk with God and service to Him define everything else. That's a scary thought. Everything, everything else, everything is an all-inclusive term, meaning everything. Everything defined by seeing Jesus. It's as if, Simon, Simeon, in this moment, as he said, I, I've seen his salvation. It is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. It's glory to Israel that, that everyone has seen. And, and we've seen Luke use this term about light before. Salvation will come as the sunrise, we learned earlier in Luke. And this is the light of revelation. This is going to speak new things to the Gentiles who never would have seen themselves in this place. And it's going to be the glory to God's people, Israel. Will they say, and we're the ones that's happened through? It's an understanding that that defines us. Seeing Jesus, knowing Jesus, he is salvation, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. We've talked about that before. Those aren't concepts. Salvation, truth, life, those aren't concepts, they're a person. And that person is Jesus, and that person was this little baby that Simeon held in his arms. This this person, seeing this person, seeing Jesus, fully God and fully man, is everything. And that is what defines me. Simeon understood that by seeing Jesus and all that that meant was all he needed. And I think we have to counter that with our tendency as people to say, I've seen Jesus and he adds a great deal of benefit to my life. He, he had some perks. I understand something new and I can utilize that to be a better person. I've seen Jesus, but I still have the best understanding of what I need in life. And I define that, and the way I define that is I want to be a spiritual man. And so I'm going to add some of these truths that are really good and they're beneficial. That isn't what Simeon teaches us or Scripture teaches it. We've seen Jesus, and that is now what defines us. It's like Simeon says, I can be content with life because I have seen God's salvation, who is Jesus. He didn't say, I've seen Jesus, and that's a nice addition to my life. In other words, we say, Having seen Jesus means that's what defines us. That is who I am. That is my absolute bottom line foundational identity. But when we make a statement like that, that defines everything else for us. Right? By, by our walk with God and faithful service is what defines everything else about us. We know that doesn't take place instantly. Right? This isn't like, everything's right now. I know Jesus. No, it's more like when we talk at Christmas Eve about some of the challenges of Christmas is that we easily leave this amazing gift of Christmas wrapped up on the shelf because it's pretty. But, but when we unwrap Christmas, we, we should see something radical and we, we let Jesus out of that box. We let Jesus out of the manger. I mean, that's the goal. So this passage is almost like Simeon has unwrapped that most amazing gift. And he's, he's seeing Jesus now and he says that's what makes everything else possible. That is all I need We've unwrapped that gift once, but that gift that is Jesus basically then unfolds through the rest of life. It's unwrapped once, but it keeps unfolding. What are the implications for that? What does that mean? How does that play out? Because none of us arrived. Simeon wasn't a perfect guy. He was somebody who lived devoutly and righteously, seeking the things of God, which is who we should be. And so it unfolds, that gift of Jesus unfolds in our life time and time again. So as we, we go into new situations, we, we ask questions. What does this mean? How does this play out? How does Jesus want me to be in this place? How should I show up tomorrow in that conversation I need to have with a coworker? How do I need to take ownership for the way I really botched that interaction yesterday? I, I really hurt somebody. The unfolding gift of Jesus makes us ponder those things and change who we need to be. And it needs to unfold every day in our life until we ultimately see Jesus face to face. But it's something that isn't fully grasped, but it unfolds. Stories we've spent time on, the ones we love, are the ones that portray the majesty. They they talk about what Jesus is going to be, what's going to happen, what's the accomplishment. You know, the the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, right? The hallelujah chorus. And amazing words. And we hold on to, that's what we sing about. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Yes! But, But in this story, we have this realism that kicks in. Simeon painted the picture of what this meant, right? He's the one. He is the salvation. In him, I have seen God's salvation. I've seen his way. I've seen the one that's the light to the Gentiles, a revelation to the Gentiles, a glory to Israel. What an amazing thing. And Mary and Joseph marveled at what he said. And then he takes the baby and he says a prayer of blessing. And you know, as a pastor for many years, one of the cool things about it is you get to be oftentimes the first non-family member to show up at a hospital when a baby's born. Right, and you get to hold this baby, and you always pray, just like Bill prayed this morning. Right? You, you pray for this child and for this family, and, and you pray for a blessing, and you, you pray with gratitude, and it's this amazing thing. And, and you pray for you know, the challenges that lie ahead, but it's, it's all about the goodness. You never pray something like, and Bill, if you had prayed this this morning, holding Bree in your arms, and said, Bree is going to divide families and nations. She is going to wreak havoc in the world. She is going to cause the rising and falling of people, and and Shannon, your side is going to be pierced to its soul. Amen. Well, that's that's what he prayed. That was his blessing. This baby was the promised one we've all been waiting for somehow because Simeon was in touch and in tune with the Holy Spirit. When he saw this baby, he acknowledged the amazing thing. This is the glory of God. This is the glory of Israel. This is a revelation to the Gentiles. This is the light to everyone. They'll all see it. It changes everything. He is all we need. This is what defines us. And and oh yeah, some people are going to go praise the God and some people are going to look at him and say, who do you think you are? And We know he was put to death. And we think of Mary standing there at the cross, and when she saw Jesus die, and we saw his side plunged with a sword, she felt it. And she was probably reminded of Simeon's words, of what was going to happen. And she had probably already experienced lots of things like that as he grew up. I remember there were times when she and the brothers and sisters thought he was crazy. I mean, they, they, they didn't grasp it. But this was the promise as well. The way God is going to do things, the way he's changing history, the way he's turning everything you think upside down for good, won't always look good. But that's the way he's doing it. And and from Simeon we learn this, and, and it takes courage. It takes courage to follow Christ. It took courage for Simeon the way he lived. It took courage for year after year to be this devout man always looking for these things. And I, I think we learn that even more from this very brief statement about Anna, this, this prophetess Anna, who it said had been married for seven years. And then the language here says uh, in the NIV and was a widow until she was 84. I think the best way to understand the actual language is there. She was a widow for 84 years. And so she was probably married at 14, married for seven years. That's 21 plus 84. She was an old woman, probably about 105 years old. And she did something incredibly courageous. We'll say she lived with holy boldness. Because it says after, this, after she was a widow, she spent night and day at the temple, praying and fasting. And we look at that and go, well, that is crazy. But we also understand the, the courage that took for her to do that, not just because she said, I'm going to stay at the temple, but also that was a, a highly male-dominated culture. And all the people that would have been there basically night and day with her would have been the priests, And here we have this crazy old woman who's here night and day praying and fasting all day and prophesying. It says she's a prophet. So she was speaking the things of God. And she too instantly saw that she lived with this boldness and this courage. That was amazing. And that's the call we all have. Jesus defines who we are. And when we are defined that way, we can live with courage, with holy boldness. I saw this amazing example, and they did some story. They were downtown at the 16th Street Mall, and, and they had a little table, um, vote for whether you think, you know, 2016 was a good year or a bad year in your life. And then people voted by putting a little rock in one of the, one of the little buckets. And in the middle of it, this one guy, this young man, he probably was 25 years old, said, well, 2016, I came to know Jesus. In that moment, that's what had defined him. And he put the rock in that little bucket. I mean, first of all, that that made the news. That that took boldness. That took courage. The thing that's hard when we look at this—the realistic life of following Christ—and Simeon portrays it. Anna portrays it. The realism that comes with this: this one will be persecuted. It happened to Jesus. Those who follow him will bear things too. We we will live life with opposition and persecution and people who won't get it and people will reject us when they're really rejecting Jesus. And we have two responses to that, two options. One is we're going to fight. I'm going to defend it. We're going to put walls up and we're going to protect ourselves from those kind of things or we will be like Jesus and say we're going to go to the people who oppose us and the people who would crucify Jesus. We're going to to go to them. We're going to try to love them to Christ. Because if they reject Jesus, we want them to reject who he is, not reject the way we did it. We want love to point to who he is. And that's a realistic way to look at all of this. Simeon and had demonstrated that to see Jesus is to see God's salvation and way revealed. This is all we need. And as people who believe that and strive to live that way, we will then be people who who persevere because we're committed actively to God's timing. We will be people who understand that everything is about being defined by Jesus. We've seen Jesus, that defines us. And then we'll be people who realistically say, and we're going to live with holy boldness. The question at the beginning was, now what? What? We've experienced Christmas. We've unwrapped this package that needs to unfold throughout the rest of our life. Now what? Now live. Now live with holy boldness. Now now live with perseverance. Now live committed to God's timing. Now live in ways that say, I want my life to be defined because I've seen Jesus. The way, the truth, the life, salvation. I've seen him. I know him. That defines me. And that's all that matters. That's my desire for my life. That's my desire for your life as individuals, as families, as Stapleton Fellowship Church, that our lives would be characterized like Simeon's and Anna's. Can we pursue that? Can we be actively committed to God's timing and persevere, living in anticipation, not wanting to miss out on what any opportunity any day could bring because God wants to work in All those moments, even when we're waiting.